Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. All right, listeners, we promised we'd be back with part two of sunscreen science bonanza. And here we are. We're back. But first, I have another really cool review to share. Oh, Um, that's right. Yeah, this is Tom's idea of what we need to start doing in every single episode. Tom had no idea when he had this conversation with you that he's going to be mentioned every every week. it's It's now like Tom's segment of like... Tom's reviews, we'll start calling them. Tom's time. Um, and a reminder to our listeners, we would love it if you left reviews on iTunes. Uh, let us know on our social media posts relating to the podcast or on our show notes as comments. Uh, or send us an email and tell us uh, how this podcast fits into your life, how, um, why you listen, why, why you tune into us all the time. Um, and what, you know, what information we have shared that has maybe impacted your life in, in some positive way. Um, I, I think we're going to keep doing this. I mean, it's the second time, maybe this will be it, but I've, I've got, I've got another really cool one to read. So I'm, I'm I don't know. Sure it's technically the third time. Cause I know that we're, oh, cause around. we read Tom's and that counted for the first. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Uh, all right. So this is from Mary Linton. Uh, and she writes, hi, Stacey and Sarah. I just started reading Paleo Principles, found your podcast, and listened to How Many Vegetables. I appreciate the mix of up-to-date science with the practical discussion of how to easily guesstimate a serving of vegetables, how to balance fruits and vegetables, the info about the meat cancer link, and the protective effects of chlorophyll. Hooray for leafy greens again! As a mom of three, sometime picky eaters, I appreciate the tips on introducing and cooking vegetables to encourage kids to try and try again. Keep up the good work. I'll be listening. Oh, I did really enjoy that series. That was that was another like in-depth science that I asked you to get into. I feel like it's kind of a recurring theme at this that point. That one did not require as many hours because that was a topic I had already researched for books, though. So right, it's, it's well, always different when it's you one like this topic. I know that we have exploding brains and lots of research to jump into. So are you ready? Hey. Let me just tell you, one of the things that we were talking about while well, we were taking a little bit of a breather, because admittedly, we uh, filled our brains with all of this information and we're just dumping right here right just, now. We are uh, recording these two back to back just because it it was so much. And it's also the long weekend during our normal like recording yeah. day. So this way we don't have also, to record on a holiday. Buying ourselves, buying ourselves a weekend off, which is pretty cool. Whew. When we get ahead, doesn't it feel good? I mean, it's pretty awesome. But when we were when we were talking about how Matt almost burned down the house while we were podcasting, <laughs> um, I was telling you that it, you were saying that you switched over to zinc oxide based sunscreens years ago, like when the kids were tiny. Yeah. And I said. I did not. It was one of the last things that we switched over 
and admittedly, I'm still having a hard time switching over some of our cleaning products in full disclosure, but, um, and that's because I don't do the cleaning. So it's hard for me to dictate, <laughs> dictate what we do, <laughs> but, um, I had a really, really hard time letting go of the fear of switching from something that worked because I was that kid, that teenager, that young adult, and that parent who constantly would get overly exposed to the sun um, with using even the wrong brand of chemical sunscreen. Like I was so am so sensitive and less so now that as we talked about last week that I focus on high nutrient density and anti-inflammatory. I'm not as prone as I used to be, but um, because I was so sensitive growing up, it was incredibly fearful for me to let go of the brands that I knew worked really well. And I knew how long they worked and I knew that I would be safe for that day with that product and not have to worry. And so switching over to a mineral-based sunscreen was incredibly scary for me. And I remember, I specifically remember the time that we did it as a family was when we went to Universal, um, a spring break. I don't know. I guess that was two spring breaks ago. And we packed both. And I was like, okay, we're going to start with the mineral. And if anybody gets even remotely pink, we're spraying them down. (laughs) We're bathing them in the chemicals because I'm not dealing with it while we're on vacation. And I was genuinely surprised that it worked. And I say this because I want people to understand that it was it was really nerve wracking for me to make this change. And this isn't a topic that I take lightly, which is why we have eight pages of notes and two podcasts dedicated to it. Um, I am I am genuinely concerned about my risk of skin cancer because of how many times that I've burned. And there's nothing I can do about that in the past, right? Like I'm just going to need to get screened and I'm going to need to focus on doing as many healthy things as I can going forward. But I can't change the fact that I increased my likelihood of cancer by being a child that got sunburn often. Because my mom has Mediterranean skin, like it's it's not in her nature to remember to put sunblock on me. So, and that's not a dig on you, mom. Like I, I get it. I've burned my own kids accidentally and, and that kind of stuff, but it does make me nervous. So that said, I want to give people assurances that if you learn how to properly use a mineral based product and you're using a product that works, you're fair skinned. It doesn't mean that you're increasing your risk of, of burn. It does mean that you have to apply it more often. Um, and it, 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 it's a little, it's a little worrisome, but I just, we were talking about that at the break and, and I was saying, no, 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 like I genuinely did not give it up. Like we had been paleo for what was that? Like six years, um, focused on changing our lifestyle over in so many different ways. And that was one of the very last things to change for us just because I was so nervous about it. And I, you know, I was saying I actually switched over to zinc oxide-based sunscreens long before finding paleo for a couple of reasons. One is I have never liked the feel of chemical sunscreens on my skin. It drives me crazy. Um, and I, they burn I just, your eyes. That's another They thing. burn your eyes and your lips. And they, like, if you get some of that in your mouth, it's like the worst taste 
in the world. Um, And so I never liked applying them as a kid. And it was like discovering like um, stick sunscreens um, back in the 90s um, that were the zinc oxide based. Of course, (laughs) zinc oxide based sunscreens have become a a long way since then. I'm just imagining you with the white nose. Well, so fortunately, even when I discovered them, they did, they were, they had gotten to the point where they didn't apply that thickly still. So one of the big differences, and Stacey, you probably know more about this than I do, that has changed with uh, zinc oxide based sunscreens in the last sort of 10, 20 years is um, how small the particles are. And we're going to get into nanoparticles and why those aren't necessarily great. But the smaller particles of zinc oxide that are found in most zinc oxide-based sunscreens now mean that you can put it on and it doesn't leave that like white, chalky feel anymore. Um, and I think and, by and the I time... I would say not all of them, right? Like there are some brands... There are some that are pretty chalky. That, yes. And, and I, I think honestly, the, the more you're paying for something the higher the performance is likely to be, right? And so you just need to be aware that if you're grabbing a cheap one from Target and it's, a you know, like one of those white sticks, um, it, it might apply white. And f- honestly, like for the kids for baseball and things like that, that, you know, it might be fine. But if you're going to the, going to the beach and you're slathering the whole family, like you might not want to show up um, with a white bodysuit on. So... <laughs> Um, so let's let's just a little review because we sort of jumped into zinc oxide based sunscreens. Uh, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide are the two minerals that are used in mineral sunscreens, and they work by reflecting UV radiation. Uh, back. So um, instead of a chemical sunscreen where the energy from the sun in the UV rays is being absorbed and then dissipated as heat, physical sunscreens, um, they do absorb a little bit of, of the energy, but mostly what they do is they reflect it back. So what's cool about that is um, they, you know, if you're not sweating or moving, that sunscreen will last all day. Of course, if you're sweating or moving, you're going to have to reapply. Um, but it's also, you know, these are, there are minerals. I mean, one of the reasons why I loved the idea of zinc oxide based sunscreen is because zinc oxide based diaper cream was a cure-all in my family growing up. So, uh, you know, some families have, coconut oil or, or Windex or whatever it is uh, in my family growing up. I mean, it was, uh, oh, you've got a whatever put up. It was actually Peniton brand zinc oxide cream was, was the one that we had growing up. Um, but it was, you know, it was like put, put the zinc oxide cream on. And I had discovered how magical zinc oxide cream was for my kids um, in uh, diaper creams, you know, when they were little. And of course, all of this was sort of pre-paleo. So, it may have been a different situation had I had the same priorities then uh, and the same knowledge base then as I have now. But that was one of the reasons why I found this so interesting. And, we, and we're certainly going to talk about some sort of a, like the side benefits of zinc oxide in a sunscreen. But we had a question from Jordan who was asking about 
blue light blocking sunscreens. Jordan, who started it all. Jordan did start it all. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to read Jordan's questions. I mean, some of this we actually covered last week, but um, I want to read Jordan's question because it's going to to really frame the rest of this discussion. Uh, and especially because it starts with, hi, I absolutely love the Paley View and love listening to you guys every week. I've learned so many awesome new things and really look forward to it every week. So clearly, Jordan, that's... You noticed main. Jordan's question is here, despite the amount of effort that it took us to do the show. <laughs> so good job starting your, go. your, your question with a comment. I saw Stacy's post on the Facebook group about the new beauty counter sunscreen and have a question about the blue light blocking. I've heard that it's actually important to get blue light during the day to help with your circadian rhythm and help sleep and would love it if you and Sarah could go into that more, especially regarding this new sunscreen. I've always used conventional sunscreens and I was about to buy the new beauty counter sunscreen to use a better product, but now I'm curious about this new line. So I want to sort of dive right into that idea of blue light as a zeitgeber. So the word Zeitgeber really means a uh, clock setter. So it's, it's a German word, and it refers to anything in our external environment that sets our internal biological clock. So we have this what's called a circadian clock. It is um, – it's sort of home is an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, which is a really fun word to say. <laughs> I feel like we need like a, a – Sound bite of you just saying that really fast. Just over really and over. over and over and over again. <laughs> I'm sorry, keep interrupting. That's all right. No, no. Uh, you're, you're right. We should sample it and like put it to like some like sick beat, right? Yeah, Cole yeah. Can, yeah we can totally have Cole give us some <laughs> background music. Get that garage band going. Um, so, uh, so in in that region of the brain is where our sort of master clock is, and then it controls. The uh, up and down rhythm of some really important hormones, melatonin and cortisol actually being the two most important, that help actually set the biological clocks inside every single cell in our body. So every single cell in our body has a little circadian clock. It's keeping track of basically when it's day and when it's night. And the idea behind having a circadian clock is it allows us to prioritize functions in our bodies. So during the day, it's prioritizing uh, energy metabolism and the search for food and socialization and things that help you know sustain life. And at night, we're prioritizing sleep and tissue repair. And so this is how our, our cells actually keep track of what time of day it is in order to be able to support quality sleep and repair during sleep and support things like you know, having um, the energy for activity, you know, for the search for food and uh, digestion and all these other important things during the day. So zeitgebers are these external factors that help set our clock. So our clock will keep running without a zeitgeber for a fairly long period of time, but it will slowly start to get out of sync. So um, studies that have taken you know, people and put them in uh, dim environments where there's there's no bright light, there's no darkness, and the light never changes. It takes about three weeks for their clocks to get completely out of sync, um, and it just sounds like like a horrible thing to to volunteer to do. But um, but we do know that um, because our our clocks will sort of it'll eventually sort of erode. That having these external signals every single day, you know, bright light outside during the day. Um, and it's really the blue light from the sun that is the the most important signal to our body that it's daytime. And then dim red light in the evenings and darkness at night are the most important zeitgeber. So they're the most important cues to our circadian clock. 
Now, all that being said, the receptors that are detecting that light, um, we have receptors in our eyes and in our skin, but the, the photoreceptors in our eyes are way, way, way more sensitive than the photoreceptors in our skin. So in order to set our circadian clock, it doesn't matter as much the light that is being exposed to our skin as it does the light that's being exposed to our eyes. Now, that being said, the photoreceptors in our skin is one of the reasons why we don't get into as deep sleep if we're sleeping during the day and like wearing an eye mask. But in terms of getting that bright light exposure, it's far more important that we're, our eyes are seeing um, bright light. So either sunlight or like a light therapy box at some point during the day. So it, it actually is much, much more important that our eyes are seeing that light. So we're unlikely to be wrecking our circadian rhythms by blocking blue light using a sunscreen. Now, the, all that being said... I think this is really cool to dive into a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think what's um, kind of interesting to me about this is one of the, uh, before we even get into the sunscreen version of it and our skin absorbing it is I use a brand which is not sponsored for my office use of blue light blocking and office glare called Felix Grays. And uh, one of the things that I noticed about it is that it blocks 50% of blue light. And so the more, and I honestly had always wondered like why it didn't do more. Like, did they just not want the lens to be orange looking when you're sitting at your office desk or why didn't they do a hundred percent of the blue light blocking? But I chose that bland cause, brand because it is fashionable and it blocks glare and some other reasons as well. Reading glasses. <clears throat> so, um, <laughs> I was, you know, kind of as we got into the blue light perspective, it honestly made sense to me that it was 50%. And I'm wondering if this was intentional on their part or they happened into it, that it's it's still leaving some blue light um, filtering for what is probably the computer screen addition to the, the ambient blue light that's already kind of coming through my office window and that sort of thing. So just... Side note, interesting thought that came about as we looked in this and I was kind of practically applying it um, because I, I do think, as you noted, that these photoreceptors are, are coming into our eyes and there's nothing that you're going to do to prevent that. So it's a matter of what is um, this blue light doing when it's on our skin and, and do we want that or do we not want that and, and I think yeah, it'll I mean, be interesting to get into it. And I think that it's it's really important to sort of emphasize here that there's a timing effect. So one of the problems with uh, screens and indoor lighting in general is that it's not actually enough blue light to hit that like sunlight signal to our internal clocks, um, which is why, you know, protecting yourself with from eye strain with glasses during the day while you're indoors is not likely to be hindering your internal clock as long as you're also seeing the sun at some point during the day. Um, what's also really important about indoor lighting and, and screens is they, they actually have, you know, LED screens have a lot more blue than even indoor lighting uh, sort of incandescent bulbs or like the old cathode ray tube televisions, LED screens have a lot more blue light. 
So that's enough blue light in the evening to interfere with dim light melatonin production, which is the melatonin that's secreted by the pineal gland in the brain a couple of hours before we sleep that starts to prepare our bodies for sleep. So it does things like lower our body temperature a little bit, right? It, it's, it's doing things that are helping our body get ready for sleep. So getting blue light exposure during the day, good. Uh, the amount of blue light that we're even getting from screens in the evening, bad. So in terms of, you know, using those glasses, they're, they're helping to protect against the glare. Um, but as long as you're using them for indoors and you're still getting that bright light exposure outdoors at some other point during the day, you're going to be setting your circadian clock during the day. And then they're actually going to be really beneficial in the evening because they're going to be blocking that blue light exposure or a large part of it in the evening. So um, there is definitely, you know, the, the trick with things that set your circadian clock is they need to match what the sun is doing, basically. I mean, that that is the whole point between the light-dart cycle as being uh, a signal for our circadian clock is it, it really comes from the fact that uh, life evolved on Earth, rotating, you know, 24 hours in a, in a day. And we actually see uh, circadian rhythms in all forms of life on Earth, even forms of life that like live in deep caves and actually never see the sun. It's, it's, it's a really sort of fascinating thing. But we see these types of 24-hour cycles in all forms of life on Earth. And I would say as it relates to Jordan's question, I, I bring that up specifically because it's not just sunscreen or what is being put on your skin that's going to affect this. Hence, you know, when we were in the Caribbean and I was wearing long sleeve UV shirts, um, I wasn't not absorbing the sun for my and the, and the blue light for my circadian rhythm. So even if I'd had on a sunscreen that was blocking the blue light, which is where her question originated from, um, that would not have harmed my circadian rhythm, so to speak. So I just wanted to kind of bring that full circle. And I know we're going to get into a lot more, but to specifically answer Jordan's question, um, there are a lot of things that you can do to protect your skin from sunlight that isn't necessarily going to change your circadian rhythm. True that. Um, but so let's talk a little bit about this. Um, it, there's uh, two two sort of labeling words that are used that basically mean the same thing in sunscreens now. And this this move towards blocking blue light uh, really sort of comes from the early 2000s. It came from the recognition that blue light is sort of uniquely contributing to skin aging. Um, and also from the number of people who have uh, additional sensitivities to blue light. So um, I think in the last episode, we mentioned lupus, but there's also some hyperpigmentation disorders that are directly related to blue light. So it, it this that sort of shift came from that. So in the early 2000s, there, there came the shift towards blocking blue light uh, as opposed to just UV light in, in sunscreens. And it's sort of important to understand that the uh, even the old school sunscreens, the chemicals that were used, they um, mostly blocked UVB, but they also blocked some UVA and some uh, very, very high energy blue, so blue-violet light. Um, but there's this move towards adding more compounds in sunscreens that block UVA better and also block uh, blue light better. And these include, ironically enough, 
Um, wait same, for it. Wait for it. Same two ingredients <laughs> that are the basis for all physical sunscreens, zinc oxide and titanium oxide. So even if your sunscreen doesn't specifically advertise that it blocks blue light, if it contains zinc oxide and titanium oxide, it does. Um, the other labeling th- um, thing that I mentioned is HEV. Uh, so HEV blocking means the same thing. HEV stands for high energy visible light. Um, so there's a few other, you know, like um, different terms that are being used in labeling, but they basically all mean the same thing. So it means, um, you know, the, the high energy uh, just beyond visible wavelengths and the highest energy visible wavelengths of light. Um, there are a few other ingredients that will block blue light. So lutein uh, as an antioxidant is being added to a lot of sunscreens and that uh, it's, it's unclear if it actually blocks blue light or if it acts as an antioxidant and kind of balances the effects of blue light. Um, either, either way, it's sort of a beneficial ingredient to, to see in a sunscreen. And there's, so um, if, I, if I can just interject as a mm-hmm. side note, specific to Jordan's question, lutein or carotenoid is what is being added specifically to the beauty counter sunscreen that she asked about. So they use California orange poppy, which has carotenoids in it. So just so all the good stuff, all the, Um, all the blue block. Um, Then what a lot of, um, of the chemical sunscreens are using to block blue light that the sunscreens that are, are going that way are uh, proprietary ingredients that are variations of synthetic melanin. So we talked about melanin last week as being the pigment that melanocytes in our skin produce that makes our skin turn darker when we tan and is the difference between somebody with fair skin or with very, very dark skin being the person with dark skin has a lot more melanin in their skin. Um, what's interesting about synthetic melanin in sunscreens, there's not a ton of, of data. I, I couldn't find anything that suggested that synthetic melanin was a, was a bad thing to see in these sunscreens, except that the formulas that it's being added to are these chemical sunscreen formulas that have all of these other compounds that are um, certainly not awesome. But um, uh, what's interesting about synthetic melanin as a sunscreen ingredient is even though our endogenous melanin seems to absorb UV radiation, synthetic melanin doesn't. It's being added to sunscreens just to block blue light. It doesn't seem to actually be absorbing UV, and that may have something to do with where it is, right, inside our cells versus outside our cells, but that's a really interesting ingredient. But it's really cool that these physical blocking ingredients um, that are very safe, that are used in physical sunscreens, also block blue light because, as I mentioned, uh, blue light is sort of now recognized to accelerate skin aging. And it does this um, by increasing the formation of oxidants in the skin. So it's not as strong a signal as UV. So uh, blue light increases um, oxidants and it includes uh, like nitric oxide radicals and superoxide, so some some pretty intense um, oxidant chemicals uh, at about a quarter the level of UV radiation. So um, one of the other things that you'll you'll see is a lot of you know why to um, 
avoid uh, where to why to wear sunscreen when you're working at your computer to protect against the blue light because it'll age your skin. But it takes, you know, five days or four days in front of your computer to equal 20 minutes outside. So there's all this kind of different math. Um, and it basically has to do with the fact that um, <laughs> the blue light from your screen is not anywhere near as intense as the blue light from the sun and the blue light from the sun is um, only creating uh, radicals, oxidant radicals in your skin at about a quarter the level of the UV radiation from uh, from the sun. But it's um, got this additional effect. So beyond increasing oxidant formation in the skin, uh, which, you know, oxidative stress is, you know, that, that is what aging is, that, that causes the entire cascade that is aging, is blue light actually seems to degrade the natural antioxidants in our skin that we talked about last week. So uh, carotenoids in the skin, are they're sitting there getting ready to protect against oxidant formation because our skin is constantly being attacked by the world around us. And blue light seems to degrade those natural antioxidants in our in our skin. And it may be that they're getting used up because of the oxidant formation, or it may be that they're separately being degraded by, by blue light. And so it's, it's compounding. What's really interesting, because we also talked about giving your skin chance to recover after sun exposure last week, is that the level of carotenoids in the skin recover very quickly after blue light exposure. So um, the, the studies that have done this have done this with like bright blue light LEDs that have been shining directly on the skin and they have various like sort of really cool methodology for measuring what's happening. So it's definitely not the same situation as, you know, how might blue, how much blue light am I getting exposed to just by going outside? Like it's, it's an isolated situation and they'll actually look at different wavelengths of light. So they'll compare blue versus orange versus green versus red. And, and blue definitely seems to have some unique qualities. It's one of the reasons why, Blue light is being used in more medical treatments now. So it's being used for acne, for eczema, for psoriasis. Uh, it's being used uh, as a an general antimicrobial. So it's being used to prevent infection in wound healing. Um, so it, it really does have some really interesting therapeutic effects. It just also happens to have this effect where it increases oxidant formation in the skin. So uh, going towards a blue light blocking sunscreen may also have some anti-aging benefits. So I just, I think it's interesting that, you know, we started the last show talking about how the sun has both benefits and harm uh, being dose related and, and how you're taking care of your sun exposure, depending on your own personal um, processing of it. And when you and I were looking at the blue light, it seems to have the same nuance that regular sun would, that it's not entirely bad when it comes to some of the things that it can do from a therapeutic perspective, but that overall... I'm assuming that our biology is expecting that from the sun and has built in because the sky is blue from blue light, right? Like it's, it's building that in to how our body could potentially use it 
what our biology was not expecting was a phone in our face or a screen in our face (laughs) all day long. And then again, when you're laying in bed at night or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, So those kinds of things are important from my perspective from an aging. I mean, I, I mentioned in the last show that I use a product on my face that has titanium dioxide, that being one of the products that you mentioned, naturally blocking blue light. And I did not realize until we did the show that the zinc oxide and titanium oxide both have protective barriers, that physical barrier that it's blocking UVA and UVB light. It's also blocking some blue light. And could the addition of lutein or I don't know if there's a type of melanin that I would feel comfortable with. I haven't researched that enough to know um, based on the proprietary blends that are probably not disclosed in ingredients. I wouldn't be partaking of that personally, sure. um, but could, could those assist some more? Absolutely. Probably. But I was thrilled to realize that I had been accidentally wearing a product for the last year and a half that was protecting against some of the aging from the blue light because I admittedly am in front of a screen all day long at work. And then when I get home, I'm often working in front of a laptop or I've got my, you know, my phone in my hand or I'm watching TV. Um, So I'm particularly exposed to pretty much the maximum amount of blue light possible. (laughs) There's very little downtime. I I don't even sleep as much as I would like to, right? So um, the the aging aspect is not so great. Now, is it going to give you cancer? Is it going to... you know, hurt, hurt you from a hormone perspective, the same way that some of the other things that we've talked about, you and I could not find that. Like when we were, when we were looking, the thing that we can say is from an aging perspective, um, that's, that's where you're going to see blue light be a problem, which, you know, for the, those 12 year olds listening, (laughs) it's in one ear and out the other. They don't have to worry about that. But one, one of the things that you mentioned was that there's nuance here. And, um, one of the things that, you know, I certainly did was, you know, looking up links between blue light and, um, you know, not just the oxidant formation in the skin, but, but, you know, what about skin cancer risk? What's really, really interesting is that blue light uh, is not linked with increased cancer risk. It doesn't cause DNA damage. So it, it's non-ionizing radiation. It cannot change molecular structure. But there's two ways that blue light may actually benefit skin. So it does become a bit of a, um, a a nuanced picture from that perspective. So there's um, a really interesting study uh, from a couple of years ago where they, because blue light has these, you know, really interesting antimicrobial effects. Um, it can speed wound healing. It has some anti-inflammatory effects. There was a study that actually used uh, blue light wavelengths in an LED light on melanoma cells and actually showed that it was able to induce um, apoptosis in these melanoma cells. And even though there's a sort of a big, it's a big jump to say, you know, blue light may, might be a good therapy. You know, what these authors were trying to do was establish blue light therapy for melanoma. It's kind of a big jump to say, well, the blue light from the sun might prevent melanoma. Like that, that leap is, is a little bit too far to go from, from this particular study. But there, there are some therapeutic benefits of blue light that it's hard to know if we might be getting some of that with some exposure. So for example, if you're getting 
uh, that healthy, non-burning sun exposure that we talked about last episode, maybe some of the benefit of that sun exposure is is the blue light on our skin. Um, you know, it may be driving some adaptive mechanisms. And one of the really interesting things is that there was a paper that showed that blue light stimulated melanogenesis, which is the production of melanin. And what they actually did to these these poor people who volunteered for this study, they shone this super, super bright blue light and compared it to a UV light like on their skin and like basically made like one little spot where their skin got like super, super tanned from the blue light and then a spot where their skin got tanned from the UV light and showed that the, the tan from the blue light lasted longer than the tan from the UV light. <laughs> so it's like that was – I mean I just – I'm sort of picturing like – coming home from that, volunteering for that scientific study and being like, yeah, and now I just have these polka dots where they shine these lights on me. But there is this, you know, again, it's, it's, it's hard to translate applying a concentrated light source of blue light compared to how much am I getting exposed to if I just go outside. But it may be that the blue light in the sun is actually helping uh, to develop that base tan that can then help protect against uh, DNA damage from UV light from subsequent uh, sun exposure. So there's definitely a a bit of a, a – there's just nuance in terms of, of blue light blocking sunscreens in terms of, well, it's great to block the anti-aging aspects of blue light, but there might be some benefits to blue light that we don't necessarily want to block. But then that gets back to using sunscreens – uh, when we would otherwise burn and embracing some sun exposure at other times because of the benefits of sun exposure. And I kind of want to take this opportunity now to kind of flip back on the coin and say, you know, that these ingredients that are blocking blue light in addition to UVA and UVB include zinc oxide. And zinc oxide has been very well known for something like 80 years to be very, very uh, beneficial for skin health. It is the active ingredient in a lot of diaper creams. It's used in skin protectant creams for the elderly. It's being used um, in creams to help speed up wound healing. It has antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. And so, you know, one of the, if, if we're kind of going through this cost benefit analysis of, well, I, I don't know 100% if I want to block blue light, there's this whole extra column of, oh, but what's great is that I'm blocking blue light with this like independently healthy, uh, you know, topical ingredient. So now I'm going to just go check anti, you know, anti-aging benefits, check zinc oxide, antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, helps protect skin barrier. It, it becomes all of a sudden a um, really easy choice for a sunscreen to choose one that's zinc oxide based. So I personally, this zinc oxide slash titanium dioxide uh, is in the product that I use. Both of them are in the product that I use on my face. Actually, I think is part of the reason that my adult acne has dissipated so much since mm -hmm. using this product. And um, like you said, it speeds wound healing and is also anti-inflammatory. And when I was reading the mechanisms behind that for um, acne healing, it was also because there is zinc in it and zinc deficiency also leads to acne. So an another 
Uh, Zinc is a phenomenally important um, immune system nutrient. So it's especially important for resolution of inflammation. So zinc is required for regulatory T cells, for example, to do their action. So that is a cell type whose job it is, is basically to turn off the immune system when the job is done. So recognize we have vanquished this foreign invader and now it is time to (laughs) no longer be inflamed, right? Zinc is involved in that process. Um, Zinc is also part of the um, molecular structure of the vitamin D receptor. So there's also some idea that you could have enough vitamin D, but vitamin D won't be able to do all of its important signaling if you're zinc deficient. So zinc has a lot of really important roles. It's actually that, did you know that zinc is the second most abundant mineral in the human body after iron? I did not know that. And what you just said about its uh, co-mingling with vitamin D absorption is also really interesting when you think about it from the perspective of using it as a sunscreen. Hmm. Um, Because then does that mean that your body is able to take in the sun better as a vitamin D source versus not? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know we're just postulating. Uh, I mean, at that point, there's, there's, there's no science to help answer that question. um, Because that, that's, that's just super detailed. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably why, um, you know, zinc oxide has been used in so many different topical applications, really, like since 1940, like it, it it goes way, way back. Um, So that all being said, one of the things that you mentioned is that you look for non-nano zinc oxide. <laughs> I know. And we, we, we debated whether or not to, f- to fully open this can of worms. Let's, let's just, let's just like, let's just like uh, pry open the, the top and just ha- take a little peek inside. <laughs> let's just so tease not, the fact that there's a can gonna, of worms we're not going to open fully. Right. Well, and, and here's, here's the reason why I just want to kind of cover this. Um, nanoparticles in terms of uh, nano zinc oxide or nano titanium dioxide is a fairly new thing. And the reason why researchers are developing these for use in sunscreens and cosmetics is because they uh, go on more transparent. So you, you're avoiding that like white chalky look. And so for a while, people have been going to smaller and smaller particles now they're getting to the size where they're called nanoparticles. And I used air quotes there, which I realize it's an audio podcast. No one can actually see my air quotes. Um, but one of the, the tricks here is that there's not actually a definition for what constitutes a nanoparticle versus a microparticle. Uh, so there's uh, really mixed data in terms of the effects of nanoparticles. So one of the things that happens with the nanoparticles of zinc oxide and titanium dioxide is it actually changes the wavelengths that they reflect and they don't reflect, uh, they they reflect to higher energy wavelengths better. So they get more into just reflecting UVB and they get less good at reflecting UVA and blue light. So that's one of the things that happens when you uh, change the, the particle size. One of the Um, Other things is there is a little bit of research showing that nanoparticles are getting absorbed into the skin um, and deeper than um, and and better than what like a normal zinc oxide, titanium dioxide um, sunscreen is not going to get absorbed into the skin beyond a couple of cells deep, whereas the nanoparticles are going deeper and they may actually – be causing some cellular damage in the skin. There's mixed data. There's data showing that they're absolutely safe 
It's unclear if it's related to exact particle size. Uh, it's just one of those areas where more research is needed. So until there's enough research to be able to make a really conclusive uh, statement about the safety versus efficacy of nanoparticles of zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, it just seems sensible to stick with ye old fashioned, just small particles of zinc <laughs> oxide and titanium dioxide and, and, and leave the nanoparticles for like five years from now when we actually have some more science. Yeah. The other thing that I personally, when I'm looking at nanoparticles, I mentioned last week, avoiding a, a spray. Um, so for me, powders and sprays with nanoparticles, I think of differently as, let's say, if I were putting on a lotion, because if it's going, if you're breathing it in and it's going straight to your lungs, your bloodstream, something like that, if it is problematic, it's not going through the liver or another way that your body has there's, to defend against it. definitely research showing that nanoparticles of zinc oxide are, are damaging if they get inhaled. Like that, that's, that's, that's for sure, for sure. Um, which I guess that's, I mean, h hypothetically, you're not breathing it in if you're putting on a cream though. Right. So, I mean, I say that because there are zinc oxide based sunscreens that don't distinguish between whether or not they're using non-nanoparticles. And that is not something that I would feel comfortable using because of what you just said. Like it's that, that is the distinguishing line for me, powders and sprays, anything that can be inhaled um, is much, much more likely to be problematic from a health perspective than, you know, if you're, if you're putting on lotion, it's, it's very difficult for your, your body, even if it is absorbing it, like you said, the science is inconclusive in it, it it's probably going through a system that's designed for that versus inhalation where it's just going, you know, straight to your bloodstream. So, um, and and I say that specifically because there is a beauty counter spray that's non aerosol that was I also get a lot of questions about not necessarily what Jordan asked but it's non nano it's non aerosol so I would not use any that were aerosol for the environmental perspective that we talked about previously or that had nanoparticles in them from the danger perspective so when you're shopping for a safer sunscreen those are things to consider. And also um, looking for lists of, um, you know, plant phytochemical antioxidants, which is one of the things that the Beauty Counter Sunscreen has quite an impressive list of uh, different plant extracts that have antioxidant properties. Uh, besides the uh, – and granted, you know, Beauty Counter is certainly not the only one that has that in sunscreens. But um, besides the, the sort of – aspect of just blocking harmful light, providing topically the materials that the body needs to protect itself against oxidative damage can be very, very beneficial for skin. That's one of the reasons why, you know, using skincare products that are, you know, packed full of, um, you know, plant extracts can be so beneficial. It's one of the reasons why I love, you know, like Primal Life Organics uh, CX. It is like just solid, um, uh, you know, a antioxidant, you know, plant phytochemical rich uh, essential oils. And so um, looking for a sunscreen that has um, ingredients list like that can is sort of like a, a whole separate side of being beneficial for skin. But 
uh, sun exposure in general is sort of a stress on the skin. So providing the skin with some nutrients to be able to help combat that damage can also be super helpful. All right. So it was a simple question. <laughs> it took two full shows. With two full shows, um, you know, the, the takeaway from both shows together, um, burning from the sun, Not bad. Good. <laughs> Badness. <laughs> As we refer to in the ye old days of the zero zero <laughs> um, episodes. Yeah, from way back from having Michelle on the show. Um, getting non-burning sun exposure, good. Sunscreen use when burns might happen, good. Chemical sunscreens, badness. <laughs> Physical sunscreens that are non-nano and non-aerosolized with lots of good antioxidant phytochemicals added like lutein, good. We could have just had a 30-second show. Silly us. Silly us. <laughs> okay, so the one other thing that I want to add is I want to suggest that women who are aging wear an SPF on their face if they don't want to age it and are sitting in front of a screen or out in the sun, like on your day to day, you know, in and out of exposure, I, as we've discussed, you don't need that. Um, but I think one of the things that I hear most often from women is that they're not using an SPF on their face or that they're using um, a chemical-based SPF that they're having a hard time getting away from because they want the benefits of it. So, I personally, as a very fair person who does not want my face to age, wear a sunscreen on my face every day. And I, I know that your moderation of, you know, get sun exposure, you might not necessarily agree with that, Sarah, but um, I would I would like to look well, and stay as young as possible. <laughs> I, the foundation that I use, uh, I use a Raza um beauty foundation and eye makeup and their foundation is zinc oxide based. <laughs> so it's got a natural non nano zinc oxide based. So, um, actually that's, that SPF is, is, is built right in thanks to, thanks to the wonders of zinc oxide. Yes. And I, I use that. I think yours is like a, a powder, right? Uh, I use it's there's actually a, they have a cream and a powder now and I like the double coverage so I actually use both. Okay, so I use a, a what's called a, a tinted moisturizer. Mine's called Dewskin and it has also zinc oxide and titanium dioxide in it as well. So I used to be addicted to. Jane Iredale powder foundation, um, which was the only way that I got off of Stila powder foundation. And I thought that people were going to have to pry it from my cold dead hands. I loved it so much. Um, but I, once I learned about nanoparticles, um, I gave it up. So that was, it was difficult for sure, but I, I just want to encourage people to play. There are, as we've mentioned, multiple products for you, to search out and try as to what might work for you. But I think SPF on the face, especially, you know, as, as a woman, if, if you're trying not to have aging spots or, you know, sign, signs of aging like wrinkles and SPF on your face 
every day is a good way to do that. So either with a tinted moisturizer or um, a, a powder, or even there are just plain moisturizers with SPF without any um, color coverage, if that's what you're into. So just something to think about as part of your morning daily routine to protect yourself from oxidative damage, as Sarah would call it. Reactive oxygen species. Oh God, you had to go even more sciencey than just. No, but that's fun to say aging. science words. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully, we filled you with all kinds of science and information. I can't imagine that you could possibly have any more questions on this topic. <laughs> um, but if you do, of course, you can leave a comment on our social media, our blogs where this is posted. You can submit a question via our websites, and we can see if uh, if we haven't already answered it, how we could you know, get back to you individually, because I feel like we have just tackled this to the nines. But there's so much good information, and Sarah, I appreciate you digging into this and um, – not just digging into it once, but then <laughs> taking all my comments and digging into it again. Um, because, you know, we we wanted to make sure that we were addressing all different sides of this, not just as we've talked about from a cancer perspective, or is it good or is it bad or is it, you know, whatever. And like foods, it's not always black and white. It's it's individual. It's nuanced. And it really depends on, on what you're going after. So thanks for hanging in here for two weeks of sun. I hope that you're Memorial Day weekend was filled with sun and fun. For Sarah and I, we are not yet there in the time warp of recording this, but I am really looking forward to a long weekend and the pool being open. Um, I I wrote my check to the neighborhood pool yesterday and I was like, (laughs) we're going to go every day. (laughs) We have already been to our pool it opened course, uh two weeks you're, ago you're in the south but we're yes we're in the south and our weather has been in the high 80s and 90s for a couple of weeks so it's been definitely definitely pool weather wow. um but hopefully everyone's having a great and safe uh long weekend i hope i mean they've already had it so hopefully it was <laughs> great and safe by the time they listen to this and uh we will be back next week thanks everyone Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. So I had texted Matt while we were recording. Said, we suck today. We're making so many cut points for you. I'm so sorry. No, because I'm not that nice. Um, I said, is something burning? And then I also sent him an emoji of a teacup and please hands uh, for tea because I wanted tea. And (laughs) about 20 minutes later, he says, so sorry about the tea. I was busy burning something on the stove. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Matt. Also, I appreciate that the house is not actually burned down. So I'm glad you prioritize putting out the fire instead of bringing me my tea. Always beneficial to not burn down the house. <laughs> Always. There's no I mean, science that supports burning down a house being a good thing. I consider, I consider every day that I don't burn something down a successful day. I mean, 
it's, it's good. These, these are good, positive thoughts. I feel like we need affirmations like this more often. Like, I did not <laughs> burn down the house today. I am going to sleep today with the same number of limbs as, as I woke up. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.